Okay, let's begin. In the morning, we, be, we talked about Melchizedek. And ultimately, ultimately, as we said in verse 3, Melchizedek was a symbol or the fore, um, foreteller of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, he has shot five things and he, he has established five new things, five new systems. So this is not a matter of our decision. It is God's decision of the way or the method how he will rule his kingdom. So if we do not live like that, we cannot see God's glory. This is a decision of the creator. So we must accept his rule within that system, under his rule. So in chapter 7, um, in chapter 7, God said that he has shut, he has shut and closed down the high priest of this earth. And now, only through the great high Lord Jesus Christ who came in the order of Melchizedek, we should go, go to meet God. And now we should not live by the law, we should live by the grace. As long as we live according to our own strength, we cannot fulfill or accomplish God's will in our life. Such an important message. With our own strength, we cannot wear the glory that God prepared for us to wear. So living by grace is so important like that. So living by grace, we can talk about that a lot um, in, when we talk, talk about the book of Galatians. But first, we can say that grace is gift, and living by grace means that receiving gift continuously in the life. So these two things are being solved in chapter 7. And from verse 11, talks about the great high priest who came in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. So verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, So it means that if attaining attaining um, the perfection through Levitical, pri Levitical priesthood is possible, um, then you wouldn't need the um, priest who comes from comes in the order of Melchizedek. You wouldn't need that. And I will talk about the perfection later on chapter nine too. But perfection is the um, destination of the holiness. So on this earth, you will fulfill that perfection and then you will enter into God's kingdom. There is no other purpose that is appearing in the Bible. In the same context, Ephesians 1.4 said that he has fulfilled his predestination. It means that God already decided for his children to be pure and blameless, holy and blameless. In the same context, Romans 5 8 said that God has made us glorified. And this is written in a past tense of a verb. It means that he already decided us to be glorified. Maybe we can talk about this in a little different context. So in the past 
parable of the soils, in the mark, it says that the only soil that is allowed to us is the good soil. What does it mean? It means that besides, outside of the good soil, there is no other soil that can bear good fruits. And also Hebrews 11 is talking about the Sabbath. It means that it means that you will bear fruit without putting any strength or effort. Why? Because because you have already personified the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we cannot go over all of them tonight. So perfection is um, a, perfection. The word perfection have the implied meaning of all all of those. So the only purpose and the plan that God has toward His children is perfection. So in our common sense, it makes sense too, right? Our Creator God, He is a perfect being. So he, a perfect being, he cannot give up upon giving the best thing to us. So, so naturally, the perfection must be his plan to us. And even he wants us to meet him in the, the most perfect image. And when we say, when we talk about this perfection, that is not something that we can accomplish in our own strength. But thankfully, God already gave us all the systems for us to um, accomplish that perfection. And by the price of His sacrifices, He has fulfilled everything. So all only thing that we have to do is to believe what He has done for us. And only uh, we have to focus on Him. This is something that it has been uh, repetitively uh, uh, emphasized in the book of Hebrews, is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And when you fix your sight on Jesus, Jesus what happens? All the functions of the new system is being activated in you. So without looking at him, just looking at the world, that is what hindering you from uh, being perfect. You, the reason why you cannot see him is because you are looking at yourself. You're, you're watching something else. So when you look, look at him, when you focus on, your, on Jesus Christ, all the new systems that he has already put in you will be activated. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only thing that we have to do. Then, then in a matter of time, you will see yourself reaching to this perfection. Amen? How long will it take? That will be different between, between people. Someone will accomplish that in, in 100 years. <laughs> no. It won't take, take you that long. If, if fast enough, someone will uh, accomplish that in a year. What does that mean? Uh, as long as you focus yourself on, on the world, you will receive the flows of the world. So compared to the early churches, compared to the early churches, we have the conditions better than the early churches to do the spiritualities. But what's the reason that we cannot, cannot, um, cannot do the spirituality as good as the early churches did? Because we have all the other good conditions, but, 
but we have lots of uh, manipulation of the Babylon that hinders us from focusing on Jesus Christ. Uh, the most representative thing is our cell phones. So when we look at, uh, look at God, we, it means that we are looking at this fundamental essential light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, when you look at the face of Jesus Christ, uh, the light of knowing God is being shined upon me. So it will um, complete the image of God in me. But the more you look at your cell phone, the more you watch your cell phone, instead of watching this essential light of God, you are beginning to be de de um, deceived and it begins to corrupt your news, which is the function of your spirit. So you cannot see the light of God. The, look, the glory, glory as a child of God, how tremendous is that? There is no angel that can directly look at the face of God. But God is telling us to look at His face. In the Old Testament era, if you, if you watch, if you see God's light, you die. But now, after, after Jesus Christ, who, which, which the invisible God became a visible God, we need to look at this visible God in order for us to survive. And our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the image of God Himself, and He is, he is the essence of the glory. So, uh, so we are to live uh, only when we look at Him. But because your news is being corrupted, you cannot see the light and receive the light. And those, those people who can see that light can shine the light also. In our church, uh, those people who are sensitive, when I look at them like this, they, they, they like freak out. Why? Because I always look at God's face. Uh, through me, that light is also being shined. So most of the times when I deliver out the devils, I don't use the term saying like, uh, in the name of Jesus, flee. I only just look. And the devils just flee. In the Proverbs, it says that the, the king who is sitting on a judging throne, he he sees through, looks through through the, the inside of the enemies. So because we have this essential light in us, it does not apply to me. To, it, it's, the, it's the manifestation that happens to all those people who are looking at the face of God. And we are the temple, right? And we should have this holy presence to shine from us. And if you go to the western wall over there, if you go underground, the underground tunnel of the western wall, there is a place that is the closest um, to the Holy of Holies. I believe that those of you who are going on the Holy Land tour, you will be able to go there. And when I go there, I find glory. 
but that glory does not exist there only. Because you are the temple, that glory is already in you and it should be shining from you. That's how dignified being you are. But because you've been watching the world so much, and because you've been watching your cell phone for a long time, you are losing that light. Your news is being corrupted. And I believe during the NB of Costa Rica, we'll be talking about the human anthropology. It is all about how is our personal um, characteristic and structure is being built. So, so during the MB classes in Costa Rica, you, you will be learning about them. And one of our associate pastors uh, received a doctor's degree from England. And I will, I will have opened another MB classes too. And I encourage you guys to go online to listen to other, other uh, doctrines too. So anyways, so what I'm trying to say is that the news inside of you is being corrupted whenever you see the light that is not the essential light. So in Revelations 3.18, there, um, there will appear the people who can dif uh, distinguish or identify the, the mark of the beast. Who are they? They are the ones whose news are not corrupted. Revelation 17.14. Okay, I don't remember well. I'm not sure. Okay, 17 verse 9. Um, there will be people who can identify the Antichrist. Whom, who are they? They are the ones whose news is not corrupted. So those remnants will uh, rise up holy and they will say, they will tell who's the Antichrist. And I, I cannot say who that is, but, but the person who will be used as an Antichrist has been born already. And in AD 49, um, the early churches already knew that the, the symbol of the Antichrist will, will appear during, the, during their days. In Hebrews 12, chapter 12, uh, the author said that you have not fought until you bled. In AD 49, there was persecution. Um, the government took away their uh, possessions, they were put it in the jail, but there were no martyrs. But Book of Hebrews said, after the appearance of um, Emperor Nero, you will, you will be martyred. In the end time, it's the same. Whose glasses are, are these? Whose glasses are these? Okay. Pastor Gambus, I guess. So anyways. 
I don't want any of you to miss my good-looking face. Do you see me well now? Okay, let's continue. So look. And soon you will be able to know and distinguish who the Antichrist is through, your, through the glorious churches. And the false prophet will appear. You will be able to know and find out who the false prophet is. Only by the people whose news is clean. So if you have good faith, if you, have, if you are faithful enough, just look at your cell phone. So in our church, we do not allow our students to have cell phones until they become 20. So their spirits are pure. So that's how dangerous it is to watch these, these uh, relative lights. So you need to look at the light of, the, of this essential light only. You have this privilege to look at the face of the Lord. And why? Searching for other things. Amen? Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So God's only plan for us is the perfection. So with, with the Levitical priesthood, you cannot attain that. And also you cannot attain that through the law. That's why the law and the high priest of this earth has been shut through Jesus. And that's why God established, God raised another great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And why is that leads us to the perfection? I will be talking about that in, in chapter 9, about perfection. And there lays the, the reason why Jesus has come on this earth. Jesus' purpose coming on this earth is not to just be crucified and to save us. It does not end there. If his purpose is just to just uh, solve the issues of our sin, he does not have, he probably, he did not have to be crucified because he was omnipotent God. If it was, if sin itself was the only issue, the only thing he had to do is to speak about it. You are righteous. If he said you are righteous, then you, we will be righteous. But that was not his essential purpose. That's why he did not just say that. He had the, the, he had the purpose, which was the perfection. That's why he came on this earth. Not to just forgive our sins. But his, per, uh, his purpose was upon the perfection. In order to fulfill that perfection, he came on this earth. So in fact, these chips of the, the great prostitutes have been implanted in you. Because of Vatican and the Catholics, you have these, these chips of great prostitutes within Christology, within soteriology, within doctrines of church. You have chips of great prostitutes. And because the churches lack the, the perfect truth, they cannot uh, fulfill this perfection. 
So during the early church's era, there was a blink of a time that the churches became perfect. And after that time, for 2,000 years, churches became powerless. Just like Isaiah chapter 6, there will be churches that, that are powerless like giving birth to a wind. You guys are living in an era that this prophecy is being fulfilled. Churches are so powerless. And, and the world must be shocked. Churches, uh, the world must be shocked that the all church members can die and put their life for the truth. But there is no church like that. Thankfully, thankfully, there are churches that are appearing like that. In this new season, you guys are being prepared like that. And you guys are the main characters in that story. Amen? So do not lose the focus that Jesus' purpose of coming on this earth is to make us perfect, not to just bringing us to heaven. And, and, uh, precisely speaking, there is not a single verse in the Bible that says that we are going to heaven. Actually, it's the heaven coming down on us. So, so actually, being deceived like that is the chip of the great prostitute. Just thinking that our only purpose is go to heaven. No. Being perfected. Perfection. The perfect glory is our purpose. Ever since he created Adam, that was his original purpose. So through the high priest upon this earth, you cannot attain the perfection. Through the law, through your own strength, you cannot attain that. Let's move to verse 12. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. So priesthood is part of the law. But when you say the part is being changed, it means that you can you need to also change change other parts too accordingly. Because the, the priesthood has been changed, you must change the law too. Because through the law you cannot attain that perfection. And the law we talked about is in Galatians. Jews have these 613 commandments that they need to obey. But, the, but to the Gentiles, it's their own strength, living by their own strength. So if you do not live by grace, every, uh, inevitably, you, you must live by your own strength. You must live by the law. And if you begin living by the law, you begin embody the spirit of the law. And spirit of religion will bring the bindings in you. And it, it will make you impossible to be ruled by the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in Galatians. So anyways, through the law, we cannot attain the perfection. Verse 13. He of whom these things are said to belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. So from the, the family of, of Levi comes out, appears the priest. 
But there will be another high priest who will come outside of the family of Levi, other tribe. Who is that person? Verse 14, for it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. So Jesus, Jesus came in the family of David in Judah, tribe of Judah. Just as I said in 14, and in regard to the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So how to uh, bring offerings, how to bring sacrifices, how to take care of all those oils in, in the altar. Moses did not give those commandments to Judah. Rather, the prophecy toward the uh, tribe of Judah is about how will they live with the authority of a king. So these, these priesthood has no relationship with the jobs that was entrusted to the tribe of Judah on this earth. It means uh, this symbolizes the shutting down of the priesthood on this earth. Verse 15, um, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. So as we said, as we talked about Melchizedek in, in earlier, he does not have beginning of a day, end of his days. He does not have family. He does not have mother or father. So he's out of nowhere. Just like him, Jesus has a characteristic of eternity. So through him, so through him we should meet God. And if he belongs to the tribe of Levi, then he will fail that job. So God, God raised Jesus like Melchizedek who came from other tribe besides Levi. It means, it, it symbolized that Jesus has shot all the old stuff. As I said in the morning, if, you're really, if your spiritual life becomes religious, even though Jesus established a new system, you are keep trying to live by the high priest on this earth. So if you look at Vatican, so, so whenever the saints, whenever the church members try to repent, they are looking for, for the priests or the bishops. This is how fear for the religion is. Still trying to live by the law. So uh, in Catholic, your deeds are so important. Your actions are really important. So you try to achieve the salvation through your actions. Do good things. I'm not saying not to do good things. But outside of Jesus Christ, doing good things is just achieving your own righteousness. We do good things on behalf of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.11 says, 
those who speak should speak like God. Those who work should work um, by the pro providings of God. We should be able to do good things through what God provides us. We should not fulfill our own righteousness. It's all grace of God. So focusing on the actions, it means that you are not living by Jesus. You should realize this as you hear this message. Oh, living by the law does, is a life that is not related to God at all. Living, living by my thoughts and my methods does not have any relationship with God. So in fact, spiritual people will know this already. Whatever you do, if you lose the relationship between God, it will become a fearful thing to you. Because spiritual people are the beings, whenever they only stand before the glory of God, they, they look at themselves too. But if you try to um, focus on yourself, trying to live by your own strength, and, and then after you try to go before God, you would have no relationship with Him. He will say, oh, what did you do? How fearful is that? Think about your pastors. Or, or you pastors, think about this. Within your pastor ministry, imagine how your church members would stand before God. Just like Paul said, would they become your, your crown? Would they stand before God gloriously? And many times within a day, you should examine this. So pastors must examine daily whether the each individuals of your church is um, uh, standing before God's glory. If not, you should you should do everything. You should do do everything to to solve that issue. Of course, not by your own effort. You should go before God and and pray hard before God to solve that issue. Why? Because of that person. Because that one person who is not standing gloriously before God, he has a lot of influence in the church. Why? Because the church is life. If you have a one cancer cell, it will begin killing your body. Of course, you should wait and wait and endure for that person. But if God says, no, do not, do not wait any longer, then you should cut that off. You should pray to God, Lord, I have never asked for the person to stay in my church. Lord, either remove that person or kill that person. No, never mind, not kill that person. You should be able to pray like that at least. So I said it last time. About a year ago, I kicked out a person. I excommunicated a person from my church. He was one of the five people who offered the most amount of money in our church. He offered a lot of money. I waited for him to return to the Lord over 10 years. Be holy, be purified, you need to focus on God. But he never turned away. So I, I excommunicated him. Not, not because of my own selfishness, but because I was focusing on God. Because you cannot leave any factor that is making, uh, making the holiness to, to, 
to be loosened, to be lost. So I always say in my church, hey, leave the church. Why are you keep corrupting the church? Because, because the number does not matter in the church. It's about the holiness. But if you live by the religion or the legalism, it means that you have no relationship with God. This should be fearful to you. So the pastor himself must live in grace and he must allow this grace to flow in the church and you must um, have the church members to live in that grace too. But what is thankful about it is that in this new season, in this new season, of course, this, this complete flow of grace must be created in your church. This is a graceful thing and this season has come. And of course, God does not just give grace to the person who rejects grace completely. But God will surely begin to create this flow of grace in the churches of remnants. And rapidly, God will change things. But first, we need to remove the law within us. Let's move to verse 16. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestruct indestructible life. So in one word, so in one in one word, this form of regulation means that it's not about the blood or it's not about the family. It's not being made through the family line of Aaron. How thankful is that? In order for us to be saved, if we say that we need a family, we should be born as Israelites. Let's say if we, in order for us to be dignified, we need to be born in the family of Aaron, then, then us Gentiles, we are hopeless. Book of Ephesians, it also says that you guys were hopeless. So especially us Gentiles, we experience lots of grace about that matter, right? It's not about the blood. It's not about the family. As we said in Galatians, through, through the family line of the faith of Abraham, we are entering into that glory. So what matters to us is the faith. So the family of Seth is a family of faith. So it's not the family of the blood. But, but the Sarks, Sarks itself is directly mentioning about the family line. So the law is saying that you cannot uh, fulfill the perfection through your fleshly relationship. Romans 7, 7 and 8 says, what does Paul say about this? He said that law is a good thing. Law is good. So the problem does not lay on the law, but, but who, but, but whom made the law? So if you're living by Sarks, the law will become the information to inform you about the sin. So no matter how good the law is, no matter, good, no matter how good the truth is, 
if you are in a dark status, it will become information for you to commit another wickedness. So what is important for us is that you should get out of your, your flesh status. But if you are a new self, the law, the law will emphasize, the law will make the sin to be more sin. So it will make you realize about the sin even more. The law itself does not have power to overcome the sin. It has ability to make you realize about the sin, but in a new self-status, the sin will be magnified in you. What does it mean? It means that it will allow you to enter into the deeper repentance. So it is important for us to check whether am I in a new self or an old self status. Are you following well? So listen well through faith. I see uh, the truth is um, enlarging. Do not listen to this through your thoughts. If you receive it by faith, the truth will be embodied in you through power and authority and reality. So, so what is saying? What this verse is saying is that it does not have any relationship with the flesh. But on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So this life is Zoe. And when you are in a religion, you cannot make the life relationship. But when you enter into the grace relationship, when you enter into the relationship between Jesus who came in the order of Melchizedek, everything will turn into the life relationship. How, how amazing is this? So no matter what we do, if we are, as long as we are in this relationship, it means that we are receiving his life through this relationship. What does this mean? So look, in the Old Testament status, no matter what kind of God's job you do, it just, it just ends there. For example, let's say if I have prophesied in the Old Testament days, after the prophecy is over, the anointing just finishes there. But in the New Testament era, let's say if I have prophesied, it does not just end there. But the life that allowed me to prophesy is being stored in me. And that life will make me more holy and it will give me more power. It will bring me more intimacy with God. That's why Paul is calling this righteousness at a new creation. Because these, these, these people have never existed before Jesus' days. So through Jesus Christ, we were all reborn. Everything that is happening within the relationship with Jesus is stored, is being stored as life in us. Even giving a cup of water to a humble man, that will be counted as a, as a good thing in the relationship between God. So in that way, Paul is saying that we became a new creation. 
So it's not about, it's, he was not talking about emotional thing. Paul was saying that we now have the new system that shows the evidence of the new creation. This is the indestructible life. So the more we live by grace, this life will become greater and greater in you. So look, what is this life? This is a life that came out of the universe, out of the cosmos. This is not the life that came within the, the universe. That's why we call it indestructible. It means there is no life on this earth or in this universe that can kill this indestructible life. There is no authority that can do that. So let's say, oh, I don't have money. Oh, because I don't have money, I will die. Hey, hey, look, look what kind of life you have in you. And you still worry about your money? You have this life that came outside of the universe. So, so uh, salvation in Greek is arson, which means from above, which, is, which means that you have life outside of the universe. So in, in the principle of grace, this life is keep growing and growing. Receive this by faith. Of course, this might be the first time for you to hear this kind of message, but receive it by faith. I'm describing you um, why Jesus came, our Lord Yeshua came on this earth in order to make you a tremendous being. So sons and daughters of God will never die because of lack of money. We can say the money itself is a strong force in this universe, right? But it can never harm this indestructible life that is hidden in us, or that is indwelling in us. Matthew 33 says, do not worry about what to eat or what to wear. But instead, ask for his will and kingdom. And even the devils, they are created beings, right? They are creations. They are the beings that exist in this universe. Do you think that the authority of that creation can kill you? They can never, never harm or nor touch the life in us. 1 John 5.18 says this clearly. The devils cannot even touch you. Why? Because we have this indestructible life in us. So that's why we, we say that we are in a complete grace relationship with God. It means that we have life relationship with God. And this life can never be touched by anything. So on this earth, we are little inferior than the angels, right? Because we have the limitation of the flesh. But never, never are we inferior than the angels. Why? Even though we have the weakness of the flesh, but because the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us and He has made us the temple, and because of the Holy Spirit, we are listening to His revelations, we are following and obeying God's commandments. And Ephesians 3, 3 says, 
we are even the ones to let the angels know about their revelations. In revelations, in the revelations, angels will look at us. He, they want to observe us. Oh, what are these human beings that that even God gave such dignity, dignity to these beings? And if we lose this dignity, then we are over. We are done. That's why we can go before God. That's the reason why we can go before Him. No other beings, Satan, nor devils, nor any other forces or authorities on this earth can touch this life. Only thing that we can do is to stomp them, destroy them, annihilate them. That dignity and authority is already given to you. So when we say we go before God, we always use this term bold, boldly. Um, in Greek, this, this means that we have freedom of speech. It means that we can ask for anything boldly before God. Why? Because of the life that God entrusted in us. And because of the, this, this dignity that God gave us. As I said this morning, we are same as Jesus Christ. Everything that he had, we have them too. The only difference between him and us is that he is an independent God and we are dependent God. That's why we are being dependent upon him. That's why we are being obedient to him. As long as we do so, there is no other authority, nor there, are, there is no other life that can harm the life that is within us. Believe. Hallelujah. Amazing. Right? This is how tremendous being we are. Having this indestructible life. The life that came outside of the universe. Why? Because the heavenly sanctuary is outside of the universe. That's where this life came. So when I talk about the image of God, um, the word, the word Salem uh, is, is to implant another life. Of course, God created human beings, but at the same time, the life that He gave us is not being was not created by Him, but it was actually being given by Him. It was given by Him. So in the Bible, there you can rarely find the term that says that God created human beings. Instead, um, instead, the Bible used a term that used a phrase that uh, God. Um, okay, I missed that part. But anyways, God did not just made us uh, like like we make things in the factory. He implanted His life in us. Of course, He made us out of the dust. Your spirit was not created. Your spirit was given by God. It means that He gave birth to you. So look at the dignity that we have. How dare could these enemies have deceived us until now? They fooled us to think that our only goal is to go to heavens. 
they, they consider us same as all the other creations on this earth. We are not, not classmates of the creations like dogs and cats. No, we are to rule them. We are to rule over them. Amen? When you believe in that, you will have the boldness. So that's why we say the righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. Live by faith. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 17. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is a re, um, this is re-declaration of the author of Hebrews that has been already declared by uh, David in Psalms 110. So it means that Jesus is saying that only through me you can have relationship between God. And we'll talk about this later, more. Verse 19. Uh, okay, we missed verse 18. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. When we say the law is weak, it means that it has no power. Especially, what's the reason why we call it powerless? It's because law cannot give you power to defeat the, the, the sin, to, to overcome the sin. It will only allow you to know about the sin. You need to have the power to overcome the sin, and you need to nullify all, all the ability of the sins. You need to be able to, you need, you need to be able to shut down all the powers and authority of the sin. But that's only possible through the grace. What kind of element of the grace makes it possible? We will look at, look, look at them in, in chapter nine. And law is powerless, and it is useless. It means has no affection. Effect, effect. So the law itself does not have any power or effect to nullify the sin. So no matter how much you bring offerings and bring sacrifices in the Old Testament days, it does not solve your sin. Just like it says in Leviticus 11, if you offer the sin offering, the more that you offer the sin offering, the more you store the sin in that offering. So the sin offering only serves the function of postponing the judgment. Of course, in the Old Testament eras, Jews considered this as an amazing thing. But in the New Testament, Gentiles would say that, oh, they are the ones who did not even solve the issues of sin. But frankly speaking, um, Jews have not solved the issue of sin yet. They only have postponed their judgment. Why? Because, because their sins has been stored in the temple through the sin offering. So, so there is no power in the law to solve the issue of sin. So all the matters of, of pain, all the problems of pain is problem of the sin in your life. And Paul in Romans says that you are being freed from the sin. 
he's talking about the revolution of your life. Solving your problem of sin, it means that you no longer will have any other problems in your life. Being freed from the sin, being freed from the effect of the sin, influence of the sin. It is Paul's declaration of the uh, revolution of, of, of the self. So as you receive by faith that you have been set, uh, set free from the sin, there is nothing on this, on this universe that can give us the pain of death. There is nothing can make me stumble. So those people who believe in this, let's say if someone took $1,000 away from me, I will never consider um, being taken away as a problem. I will, I will focus and think how much more would God feel me. So whenever the suffering comes, oh, suffering is so tough. No. Within the suffering, I will be able to proclaim the victory. How will God make me win over this? This is the image of the people who have solved the issue of sin. So when Paul proclaims that we have no issue of sin, it means that you have turned into a new revolutionary being. So your spirituality is experiencing the influence of sin keep disappearing in your life. We'll look at that in chapter 9. Not just simply being forgiven but from the sin. But actually having the practical effect and influence of the sin being taken away from you and you reaching to the perfection. That's the power of the blood that has been sprinkled in you. How tremendous is that? So because the blood has been sprinkled in you, you have the authority to proclaim the power of the blood. And Jesus even said that um, you can even forgive other sin. And when you believe in the power of the blood and you pray for, for the person, surely God will bring the work of salvation to the person. So when you believe in the power of the blood, it will happen to you. Amen. So through this conference, you should be able to make this blood flow to Israel. And, and from now on, Israel will begin to flow from Old Testament to the New Testament. They will begin to experience this revival that the Gentiles have experienced until now. Amen. Blood of Jesus Christ. Blood of Jesus Christ. Blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. Look. So the author is comp uh, continuously um, talking about the perfection. So spiritually, you should be able to pluck this out. And say that the only purpose that God has toward us is the perfection. 
So you should take 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 out this chip, uh, fooling us to think that uh, going to heaven is the only purpose for us. There is no no promise in the Bible that tells us tells us saying that oh you can just live live whatever you want and you can still still go to kingdom of God. No, there is no pro no promise like that in in the Bible. The only purpose of the salvation in the Bible is to make us perfect. That's the only only promise that He has to us. So in the church, you should not consider uh, receiving salvation is the only goal in, in the church. No, kingdom of God is something that comes to us. So our goal is to stand before God gloriously, not to just barely receiving salvation and to reach the heavens. Take out, take out these this, this, this ships of lie. The only, only goal that God has toward us is the perfection. So you need to give up upon all your methods and your purposes. No matter how much human beings try and put their efforts, you can never become like God. This is a fulfillment of uh, Zechariah chapter 8's prophecy. Zechariah 8.10 ever since the Old Testament. God decided to make us like Him. Even before 4,000 years ago, God decided to make us uh, the heirs of His kingdoms. Ever since the family line of Abraham, the faith continues. You're not hearing it at all? No? Okay, um, battery ran out. So anyways, do you hear it now? And surely at the end time, um, they will return to the, to, the, to the Lord. So as Gentiles, what's our goal? What's our goal? Toward Israel? We need to help Israel to restore their authority as the firstborn. We need to help them to to restore their authority as a firstborn. Let's continue. So uh, okay, verse 19. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So better hope, it means that uh, the grace that came from the great high priest who came in the order of Melchizedek. So as we move uh, toward the back, uh, toward the later parts of the Hebrews, it means that we are entering into the holy of holies of the heavens. These are all better hopes. So earning lots of money is not our hope. Entering into this glory is our hope. And because of this hope, we can draw near to God more and more. The reason why we say that we have this hope, it means that we, we are believing in God's promise. 
And this promise allows us to go before God more and more. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been drawn near to God. Because the blood has been sprinkled to you, you have the relationship to meet Him face to face, meet God face to face. It's not you standing from a far side, far behind to see him far over there. You are now um, drawn close to the place where you can even touch him. So when Jesus come, what should we say? Uh, when Jesus first came on this earth, what did he say? He said, repent, the kingdom has drawn near. So when, when he said the kingdom has drawn near, it means that we can grab hold onto his kingdom. And because we can grab hold onto this kingdom, we can draw the kingdom into us. So now the kingdom of God is already in you. So now we cannot lose him any longer. How, how can we lose him when we, when we have him in us? Amen. If by a chance, if he is asleep in you, you should wake him up. Knock, knock. Wake up. Lord, wake up. Awake the Lord in you. He should work in you. He is leading you. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 20. And it was not without an oath. So there appears the term oath. So the author is quoting Psalms 110 verse 4. There appears the term oath. Um, the Lord will not change his mind. What is this oath? This is the promise of God. But more precisely, more precisely speaking, God gave you promise continuously. And this must be solved uh, while explaining the term covenant. But anyways, God gave you the covenant. It appears in verse 21 too. Or, or 22. But let's, let's get rid of the term oath. So the term oath, in verse 16, 616, Verse 16, uh, chapter 6, verse 16. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And verse 17 also said that uh, because God wanted to make an unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he has promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So what does it say? God gave us his promise. But what's the contract? Uh, uh, let's say if someone breaks the promise, that, that contract relationship will be broken. 
best uh, content of a contract. So when when Abraham made his relationship with God, he cut the dove into two parts. He waited upon God, and within the night, God ablazed that pigeon. What does that mean? It means that if if you if you uh, break that 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 contract, then you will be split apart like that too. But the word covenant, it has the uh, implied meaning of a contract too. But the covenant means. If even if 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 we break the promise on our side, God will never abort that promise on His side. Even if Israelites serve the idols, commit sins, God will never abort His promise. God will never abort His contract, His covenant. That's the covenant. So God gave this promise to the Israelites, and that's the, the contract. But for all the Israelites who have aborted the promise, God must, God must uh, abort His promise too. But still, He is God of Israel. Still, the Israelites are His sons and daughters. And He needs to abort the contract and He needs to give them the promise again, again. So look, so on God's side, in order to love the Israel, it, it is inevitable for him to give up upon his fame and honor as a creator. So on, in the perspective of God, it is not a small thing for him to love us. And even a person who understands well about the fame and honor, it is not easy for that person to abort his promise. It applies to me too. Through my words, all Zoe ministry is moving. So I cannot, I cannot abort my promise easily. But think about who, think about who made this promise to us. It's the creator. Think about his fame and honor. He must kill the Israelites if they if they uh, break the the promise. He must end the promise. But God Himself gave up upon His promise, and He will still consider them as Israelites. He still considered them as His people, and He gave them another promise. He's continuously giving them the new promises. That's the love of God. But, but now, but now God gave us the final promise. There is no other promise after this final promise. This is the oath. And who is this, this Jesus? So after Jesus, you cannot no longer live aside from him. He is the one who has who has established upon this oath. You have no other promise besides Jesus. 
he is God's final promise, his final oath. So we have no other ways to live besides of Jesus Christ. There is no other way but Jesus Christ that makes us to go before God. He is the final decision of God. So in verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And when he says he will not change his mind, it means that he will never regret all the works that has been given through Jesus, God will never regret. Let's say Jesus has called Pastor Samuel. Of course, Pastor Samuel is doing well in his ministry, but let's say he's not doing well. So in God's perspective, let's say, oh, I, I regret on my calling on him. Why? Do you think I will do that? God will be like that? No, God will never say like that. Why? Because he called him through Jesus. So he never regrets upon his calling. So surely, surely he will make him as a pastor um, that he wants to make him because he called him through Jesus. This is how fearful the name of Jesus Christ is. So whenever God uses the name of Jesus, he will fulfill his will. Why? Because when he uses the name of Jesus, he never regrets. John 14, 12 says, Ask in my name, then I will do. Such a fearful promise. Ask in my name, and I will do. Amen? And you already have that glory of that name. Through that name, you will deliver out them and devils. Why? Through the, through the name of Jesus, God never regrets of anything. How tremendous is that we have the authority to, to ask anything through his name. So this, is, this has such a great meaning that Jesus has um, established upon this oath. So we, we need to ask for nothing else but Jesus Christ. This is how important. We need to love him. He is our everything. He is our everything. Amen. Hallelujah. We don't need any other thing. Amazing. Verse 22. Because of this oath, uh, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. The better covenant is directly referring to the new covenant. So now Jesus has made, uh, God has made Jesus as a guarantor of, of the new covenant. And we'll talk about new covenant later. So that's why um, the guarantor means that the word guarantor means. And in chapter 8, verse 6 says uh, the interceder. 
This all refers to the new covenant. And the word intercede, it is same as guaranteeing. It has a meaning in the context of uh, raising one's life while giving up upon everything, including his life. So in order to make me a new covenantal being, God sacrificed everything of Jesus Christ in order to make me a new covenantal being. So enemies can never bring accusement upon my New Testament, a new covenantal being. Why? Because the Creator, Jesus Christ, has already paid all price. The evidence is the blood of Jesus Christ that has been sprinkled in you. So the most dangerous thing is that is to have the guiltiness. Why do you have the guiltiness? It's because you don't believe that God has already paid all the prices to make you perfect. So standing before God means that it means that you would not have any emotion of shame or fear to stand before God. You are Jesus Christ himself when you stand before God. So, so listen well. <laughs> Do not listen to this while dozing off. You have all the things that Jesus has already guaranteed uh, so, so you can be, be bold when you stand before God. So praying is not begging. Praying is not just demanding or asking for something. Praying is boldly uh, standing before God, having all the dignity of Jesus Christ. That's the authority to use the name of Jesus Christ. Not to stand before Him as a pitiful being, but as a son of God, the heir of kingdom of God, a royal being. So all the prayers that you are asking to the Lord will become qualified to, to be demanding to the Lord that He must answer. That's why we call Him Abba Father. Father, you must give everything to me whenever I ask. So that's the reason why we need to repent when you do not receive answer from the Lord after your prayer. Why? Because you ask to the Lord with this dignity. But the reason why God is not giving it to you is because you, you will be corrupted when God gives, you, God gives you. So it will also hurt God's feeling. So that's why we need to repent when you do not get answered by God after your prayer. So praying is such a tremendous promise. So James, James chapter 5 says that whenever you pray, you should be able to open the gates of heaven automatically. So God said, uh, Jesus said, ask, ask me of anything, then I will, I will uh, respond to you. So prayer it must be, be done in the principle of a 100% rate of response. But God is the one who responds to the being, to the identity. 
Amen. So this is the dignity that we have received. So, so accusement and the guiltiness comes from our unbelief that we cannot believe in this dignity, the inferior feeling. It comes only because you are comparing the things that you have received from the world to the things that you receive from God. So feeling the condemnation and inferior feeling, uh, it means that it's the evidence of a great problem in you. Shame and doubt, all these things have no relationship with God. So believe after you ask of anything. Even if you ask for this mountain to be thrown into the sea, it will be done if you do not doubt. This is the relationship between us and God. You need to be able to believe in this. You need to believe in this. Amen? Amen. This is a guarantee. So in chapter 8, verse 6, the intercede, it means the legal, legal, um, legal effect. So legally, Jesus is guaranteeing our prayer. Legally, we have the authority to ask before God. And we also have this influence and the effect of Jesus making us a new covenantal being. So never can the enemies accuse us, condemn us, or put a trial upon us. In terms of a, a price of the sacrifice, in terms of a legal, uh, legal authority, God already decided us to become victorious. He already decided us to become a new covenantal being from the beginning. So all the condemnation in you, it's all delusion. It must, it must be disappeared. All the inferior feelings, it must be disappeared. Disappear, disappear. All your fear, doubts. Blood of Jesus Christ. Blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Do you feel the power of the blood circulating in you? Blood of Jesus Christ. With this blood, it will, it will unbind all your bindings. Through this blood, you will cleanse all the dirty things. Through the blood, you should be cured. the high blood pressure be cured through the blood through the blood of Jesus Christ all the diabetes be disappeared blood of Jesus Christ hallelujah in his blood there's power life of darkness must flee when this blood is being sprinkled in you. Blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is guaranteeing himself. 
the authorities no longer have the legal effect in you. Amen. Okay, let's finish chapter 7. Verse 23. Now he is returning to the law. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So normally, usually, usually there are around 25,000 Kohens, the priests in, in Israel. So even if those 25,000 Kohens um, do offerings for many thousand years, they, cannot, they can never fulfill the perfection because they will die. But, verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So only thing that we have to do is to go before him because he is a priest forever. He will never die. We will be able to be righteous forever because we are in this eternal covenantal relationship with him. Amen. So let's briefly talk about the covenant. And, and when we look, in, look at the Bible in the perspective of the covenant, we can talk about the covenant of creation and covenant of salvation. Redemption. So, uh, creation, you, you are well aware of. Genesis chapter 1. But that covenant has been nullified by Adam. But when Jesus came on this earth, uh, that covenant was restored. And this covenant of redemption can be uh, divided into, into two things. The covenant that, that was given to Noah and Abraham and covenant that was gave to David that appears in 1 Samuel chapter 7. All the laws. These are old covenants. But all these old covenants has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ in the new covenant relationship. So the new covenants uh, core principles appears in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah says that God's word is in us and Ezekiel says God's spirit is in us. So Jesus gave the covenant of peace to the Jews. Why? Because uh, Israelites continued to, to break the promise. So God needed to give them new promise over and over again. But at the end, God gave them the, the, the best confirmation. It's not like uh, restoring them, breaking, destroying them, restoring them, destroying them. No, God finally gave them the final covenant of peace, which is Jesus Christ. So they don't need, they don't need to uh, go back to the circulation of destruction and restoration, destruction, restoration. Isaiah 55 says that um, the covenant of David will be eternal. 
So all the promises in the Bible is already fulfilled through Jesus Christ eternally. So look, so to the children of God, whether it is covenant of creation, covenant of old covenant, whether it's the new covenant, all of them are already fulfilled in us through the covenant of Jesus Christ. So you have this eternal covenant. How tremendous is this? Through Jesus Christ, all the promises has been already fulfilled in you. Believe in this. That's why Jesus' name is glorious. That's how tremendous Jesus becoming the great high priest is. So when you go before God, let's continue. Um, in verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So through, through here is dia in Greek. It means that he passes through Jesus Christ. So we do everything in terms of relationship with God. And when we pass through the relationship of Jesus Christ, what happens? We become able to go before God. And, and what happens then? He will be able to save us completely. So every time we go before God through Jesus, it means that we are drawing near to the perfection. And we will talk about perfection in chapter 9. How is that possible? What, in what kind of mechanism is that possible? But look at verse 25. Verse 25. Because he always lives to intercede for them. So the term intercede here, it means to introduce in Greek. Just like Joseph introducing his brothers to, to Pharaoh. To present or to introduce. Why are we being perfected? Because Jesus is continuing to introducing us to God. This term introduced is not a certain um, specific term that only the author of the Hebrews used, but it, this is a common term, common terminology that the early churches used. In, in Romans, Paul used this term too. So what is happening here? Because we are going past, uh, we are going through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are being able to go before the throne of God. And what happens there too? Jesus is grabbing on our hand, on our wrist, and he is bringing us before God and introducing us to him. Father, this is my brother. I shedded my blood for him. So no matter what we ask, he will respond because Jesus introduces us to God. So what happens whenever we pray? The righteousness is guaranteed. And immediately, the uh, Holy Spirit will guide you. And until when does He guide us? He will guide us before the throne of grace. And then He will allow Jesus to take, take His job. And then Jesus appears there, and He will begin to introduce us before God personally. This is the practical event that is happening whenever you are praying. 
Do not consider this as an imaginary thing. This is a practical event that is happening before the throne of God. So you should be able to experience this deeply touching emotion whenever you pray. But why are you not experiencing this? Because you are so soaked in your flesh. And you don't have the confirmation of your righteousness. You're continuously doubting. The strength of your old self is too powerful. So this, these are hindering you from fulfilling and accomplishing the promise. But you need to continue to uh, draw near to the throne of grace. And you need to believe that these are the practical event that is happening to you whenever you are praying. So what is Jesus doing when, whenever you are praying? How can he uh, introduce us to him? To him? Look at um, 2 Timothy 2.5. 2 Timothy 2.5. God is one. 2 Timothy 2.5. God is one. Okay, similarly, uh, okay, anyways, there is only one interceder who is between God and us, who is Jesus Christ. And Timothy is calling Jesus our interceder as a person. Why is he a man? Because, because he is still wearing the same body as he was ascended to heaven that he used to wear with his, uh, uh, when he was on this earth. Well, so actually, in the Bible, there is actually no, no, um, no distinction be between human being and a divine being. So let's say wearing a human body is possible. Uh, um, human body is inferior and God is superior. There's no distinction in the Bible saying like that. But rather, but rather Jesus considered wearing the human body as a, as a boastful thing. He's proud. So there is no clear distinction between divine beings and human beings. So look. So Jesus still is wearing the same body that he used to wear whenever he resurrected. And he is still introducing us before the throne of grace. And in Zechariah it said that Jesus will wear the same body whenever he returns. And he will, I will, sh I will guarantee that he will still have the same, same scars on his hands and on his, on his um, back. And all the righteous are praising God, praising the Lamb, actually. This is the evidence that he's still wearing the same body. Do you feel how much God, uh, he is loving us? 
he is still remaining as a man like us. He, he embraced, he sympathized all our pains. So, author of Hebrews is saying in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 415, uh, chapter 4, verse, chapter 4:15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he is continuing to emphasize us. So he is keep encouraging us to go before the throne of grace. We don't have to rely on any other thing on this earth, in the world. Trying to explain, explaining things to the people, trying to tell anything. No, do not do, do, not do that. Just rely on Him. Why? Because He is still a human being and He understands us. So this is a practical reality, practical event that is happening whenever you are praying. All the prayers are being done, being answered through through his introduction. God understands. God knows that Jesus has made has paid all the price through his life as a human being. So through this conference, I want all of you to be loosened spiritually like this. And I want you to all experience the joy to enter into the Holy of Holies. Whenever you enter into the Holy of Holies, there's no limitation of understandings. There's no limitation of the flesh. There's no limitation of the power. You will be able to exceed all those limitations. And you will be able to pray more than like five or six hours. And, and it will uh, be felt to you like 10 minutes. And you will feel like a day has passed after our 10-minute prayer. You should be able to go into the Holy of Holies. Verse 26 or 25. Okay, 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Meeting our need. Okay, in English translation, it says it meets our need. So we need him. He's the one that we need. He's the one that we need. So we do not need any other thing. We only need him. Believe in this. We don't need money. It's not the person that we need. We only need him alone. Indeed, indeed. He experienced, he went through all the sufferings and difficulties as a human being, and he guaranteed our righteousness. So, so we need him all alone. He is able to solve all our pro problems. You need to be able to believe this. 
That's why he meets our need. And also he is holy, one who is holy. That's why he can give us the holiness. If he is not holy, he cannot give us the holiness. So whenever we go before him, we can always, always confirm our holiness. Holiness is the only, only characteristic of him. So, so when, when he, when we, when we say he gave holiness to us, it means that he gave himself to me. So when you enter into the holiness, you will experience immediately yourself being separated from the world. If you are holy, it is impossible for you to have relationship with the sin or the world. So accept, receive this holiness. So you still, you still having the relationship with the world is the evidence that you have not yet uh, received this holiness. God gave us this holiness. So, so that's why we can, we can call upon the Son of God. That's why we can become the Son of God. That's why we can become the heir of His kingdom. That's why we can become His temple, His, His dwelling place. Why? Because God entrusted His name of holiness to us. This is your dignity. And also He is blameless. So in the Bible, the blame, the uh, iniquity is selfishness. Jesus is complete selfless being. The word that he says, all the ministry he has done, all of them are for us, on behalf of us, because he, he is lack of iniquity. He is without iniquity. And even Jesus said, because of the righteousness of my, of my name, and that means that he has given us the best things for us. So only when we live by his righteousness, our life will be happy. So he's completely blameless. So the more you accept Jesus Christ, the more you will be able to get out of your own selfishness. You will be selfless. Habakkuk is clearly saying, what is, what is the wickedness? It's living by oneself, living by one's own power, living by the world, living by one's own method. So, so the evil can exist in the church. If you live by yourself, it means that you're living by Babylon through all the relationship in the world, all the glory of the world. There, there is actually no, no glory in the world. So if you live by yourself, it means that you are making you fallen into the ruins. And you will be able to only realize that on the day you stand before God. And okay, let's move on. Jesus is blameless. He's pure. Because he's not living by himself, he will never be corrupted by the world. His intelligence, emotions, will is pure itself. So the more we live by Jesus, our functions will be clearer, our news will be clean, 
we will ha we will no longer be able to have relationship with dirty things. Whenever the dirty things approach to you, you will like you will throw up. This is what happens when we have relationship with him. And set apart from sinners. Why? Because he cannot have relationship with sin. So in our terminology, being filled with a new self. Relationship with Jesus Christ is relationship with the new self. Becoming a being who is who is who is completely not related to the sin. And also and also exalted above the heavens. He is the one who is ruling outside of the universe. He exceeds all dimensions. He's outside of the universe. But at the same time, he's the one who came in this history. That's how tremendous you are, tremendous being you are. He even counted the falling of your hairs. He understands every cell of your body, but he, he also gave up upon his omniscience. He wants to understand you more and more. He wants to know about you. He wants to experience you. Yes, Lord, we thank you. Verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Because he was a person, he was a human being, he first had to get rid of his own sin. He had to offer for the people. Oh, no, no, never mind. The priest on this earth had to do so, but Jesus, he did not have to do so. He offered himself once for all. What does it mean, once for all? That he has solved all issue of sins once for all. He has opened all the paths to enter into the Holy of Holies once for all. And when we enter into the chapter 10, uh, the author says that there will no longer be the sacrifice for the sin. So whenever we commit sin again, we will not go before the cross. You only need to experience the event of cross for, uh, for once in your life. The reason why we go before the cross is because of the event of His love, not because of the event of our sin. Why? Because Jesus has finished all the issues of sin once for all. How important is this? Let's say if I have committed a sin, let's say if I have lied today, let's say I repented about that. I repent relying on the blood. Let's say after a moment I lied again. Let's say I pray like this. Lord, Lord, I committed a sin again. I lied once again. Is this a right prayer? No, this is a wrong prayer. Why? The sin that I committed before, because I have repented about that, it is deleted completely and God decided not to remember about that. So there is no need for me to pray like, Lord, I committed sin again, again. No, I don't have to use the term again. Of course, the true repentance, a sincere repentance, can nullify all the effect of the sin for once, but it might not be, be like that always. So as you continue to repent before Him, 
It's not receiving the forgiveness of the sin. It's just deleting the list of sin itself. Deleting the list of sin that has been recorded in, in your subconscious. In consciousness. So the more you repent, the more the effect of the sin will be deleted from you. So in that relationship, you will become holy, more holy. You will draw near to the perfection. So once for all here, it means that whenever you repent, the issue of sin is being solved once for all. So even if you have committed sin again, this is the sin that you have committed for the first time in your life. Only when, only when you believe in the ability of, of the blood, the power of the blood. Why? Because you are relying on the blood. In your humanly perspective, you might think, oh, what kind of a... Um, oh, I don't know the term, but anyways. What a shameless person, what a shameless person. But, but that's the practical power of the blood. <laughs> the blood has been sprinkled in you, amen? So in this relationship, God does not want you to have these, um, um, these, this weak relationship with you. He doesn't want you be shameful or to be shy because of your sin. That's why He allowed this perfect righteousness through the blood. So we can boldly go before Him. We can't ask for anything. That's what His love is. That's what His righteousness is. Hallelujah. Amen. So look, you might think then, you might think logically, so then it means that I can commit sin and repent, commit sin and repent. Well, that's possible. When, when you don't believe in the power of the blood. But those who believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, whenever they go before the throne of God, as I said, their effect of the sin will be deleted from them because the list of sin has been erased. The enemies can no longer hook the chain over us. Those of you who have, who is committing sin habitually, why? It's because the, the list of sins still exists in your consciousness. That's why the enemies is keep using that information to hook you. Unless you get rid of that situation, when you wear the, the resurrected body, you will have the same darkness that has been enlisted in the list of conscious. This is, this is um, how it is described in 1 Corinthians. The resurrection will be different from all people because you have the list of sin in your consciousness. 
So that's why we need to daily cleanse all the list of sin in our consciousness. So the people who have not solved this list of sin, what happens to them whenever they die? They will not go before the white throne judgment. Just like 2 Corinthians 5.10, they will go before the throne uh, judgment of Christ. They will fail to come, come back on this earth with God as royal priest. For a thousand years, they will be trained somewhere up in the heavens. There will be time for them gnashing with their teeth. So they will regret then seeing God's glory. Oh, why did I not solve this when I was on this earth? So that's why you should continue to practice this practical power and continue to repent. Amen. Lastly, verse 28. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. What are these weaknesses? They cannot, it means that they cannot solve their own sins. But the oath which came after the law, so this oath refers to Psalms 110, Jesus becoming the final guarantee, appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. So because he is perfect, he can make us perfect. So perfection is not receiving his perfection, but completely relying on holiness and completing it within us. Jesus already paid all the price through his sacrifice. He gave us the legal rights. And never can any devil uh, bring accusation upon that upon that legal rights. Just like Job, the devils, the devils went to God and said, "Oh Lord, why why is Job why is Job praising you? It's only because you are protecting him." Even though it's accusation, it's a right word. Because God is protecting Job, he was able to praise him. But in the New Testament, that kind of accusation is never possible. Why? Son of God, Jesus Christ has paid all the price. He gave all the merits to us. And from now, he gave us, he allowed us all the regal rights for us. So there will be no trials before us. Just like 1 John 2.1 says, he will become a blood-shedding lawyer and he will guarantee us completely. There will be no white throne judgment. So um, feeling the guilty, guiltiness is being, being deceived. There is no despair in God's kingdom anymore. Do not, do not be despaired. Whenever suffering comes, think about what? Hey, devils, just wait a little longer. You will pay the price. You will soon pay the price. You should be able to think like this. Amen? Let's pray.